Listener Production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. This audio edition is created in conjunction with partners as part of our Market Voice series. Well, does anyone remember how most digital ad campaigns were done before programmatic changed pretty much everything? Probably not, but the same upheaval is now flowing through native content. That's the stuff many brands love for impact and authenticity, but hate to actually do because it's resource intensive and super hard to scale compared to ads. Content discovery networks like Taboola and Outbrain have tried to bring some scale to content distribution, but in the end, they have plenty of limitations. And in my personal experience, I get served some pretty strange stuff. But on the mics today are a couple of native content supremos. One pioneered the category in Australia at Junkie Media maybe a decade ago, hiring Australia's first native content editor. The other looks like he's finally cracked the scale challenge with a native content platform which aggregates publishers and their audiences, brand to publisher native content briefs, and content generation and distribution. Dreams might actually come true for those brands and marketers who get it but find native content hard. So welcome former Junkie co-founder Tim Duggan, now chair of Independent Media Industry Group, the Digital Publishers Alliance, and Luke Spano, Managing Director of Avid Collective, the brainchild behind this native content platform we speak of that might just shake the category up globally. And it's another Australian-born outfit, so good stuff. Luke, we might go to you first. Um, back when your co-panelist, Tim Duggan, was a, a little younger, but probably equally sprightly, native content was surging with brands. But I think you argue it's flatlined. Um, so why? What's been the problem with what was at least a booming category? And welcome, Luke. Good to have you on the mics. Yeah, thanks for having me, Paul. Yeah, I think that where Tim and, and Junkie and, and other digital publishers kind of got the native content space to was a lot of brands, if not all brands or all big advertisers have run native content campaigns, have, have tested the channel, have run campaigns. But I think the difficulties of the channel have meant that they haven't made it haven't made it a, a prominent advertising channel that you're using consistently. I think those issues are it's a very fragmented space. I think there's hundreds of publishers, if not thousands of publishers within Australia. So as a brand, if you're trying to work with all of the different publishers in your relevant space or passion point, there's so many different publishers that you could work with. And so working with setting up individual relationships with each of them is, is very, very difficult. There's no standardization really in the category. So again, people are using different language for the same things, making it really difficult to operate at any level of scale. And then the big one, it's resource intensive. So it's still very manual, um, despite being a mostly a digital format. A lot of the back and forth is still happening in spreadsheets, over emails. It's very, very difficult. Uh, so we kind of you know, liken it to the way display used to be, you know, was originally bought IOs over the table and things like that. What that meant is that the space was much smaller and advertisers were working with far less publishers, right? They were probably working with 2 or 3% of the publishers that they can now work with when they're buying programmatically because they can buy at so much scale. So I think all of those things just make a much smaller ecosystem and, and have ultimately led to the category not being able to, say, rise to the same size as you know, buying display or video or the other ad, you know, primary ad channels that exist. So if that's the case, and, and uh, I get it because we do a bit of it as well, and it is very sort of resource heavy, right? It's, it's not light touch. We wish it was. But if it is the case, why do brands and marketers still persist with it, Luke, um, they're still doing it, just not 
as much as they should or could. Is that the issue? Yeah, well, I think as much as they could if they had the tools at their disposal, right? So it's, it's a limitation of the tools yeah, at disposal. But I think why, I mean, the primary one is audiences hate ads, right? Like that's something us as marketers and advertisers are dealing with every single day is we're trying to serve advertising, run advertising for our brand or for our clients. And audiences don't want them to be there. They don't want the ads to be there. They find them disruptive. They're ruining the experience of whatever they're doing at that point in time. And that leads to a whole bunch of other factors. It leads to less trust in the messaging that we're putting out. It leads to less attention, all of that type of stuff. Whereas native content gives you the opportunity. It's kind of the antidote to a lot of that, those elements. It gives you, you know, audiences are opting in to consume the content. Therefore, you're getting much greater levels of attention. You can go from driving one second of passive attention on a display ad where you're reading a piece of content and there's a display ad over to the side versus in the content experience, you're consuming that piece of content for 90 seconds, 120 seconds. So you've got their full attention. So the amount of time you can get with the brand is much higher and Mm. the level of trust that you're leveraging. So you're getting authenticity, you're getting advocacy from a specific publisher, uh, obviously a massive one that, you know, typical ad channels really struggle with. I did mention at the top around these content discovery networks. They've been around for a long time too, like Outbrain and Taboola and so forth. What do you make of those? How how do they fit into the native content or essentially how you see uh, native content anyway, Luke? Yeah, I mean, we definitely see that, you know, the likes of Outbrain and Taboola have kind of dirtied the word native a little bit. Really what they've done is take typical ad placements, you know, like a display ad and, and made it a bit prettier. But at the end of the day, they're still ad placements, right? They're still brands paying to exist on another publisher's site, still disrupting that experience. It's not kind of natively built into the site and it's not coming from the publisher themselves. It's a really big point of difference is native content is all about content that is created by the specific publisher. So it it has the exact same look and feel as their editorial content. It's typically written by the same content creators. And so you're leveraging that voice. It's coming from the trusted voice that you're used to consuming every single day. It's just that they're speaking about a brand's product or service or whatever they might be. So I think, yeah, Outbrain and Taboola and those the, the likes have definitely kind of dirtied the word native. They definitely, you know, create a more native experience than your typical advertising, but it's not content at the end of the day. There might be links back to content, but, you know, it's not a typical kind of content experience and not from the content creators that you want to be consuming, right? That's, I think, the big thing about native content is I've got an affinity with, say, junkie media, I love their writers, I love their tone of voice, I love the content they create. So then I want to hear them speak about brands as well, or I'm open to speaking to how they speak about brands and what they think is of value because I trust their opinion. Whereas a brand that's paid to be there on the bottom of a site to take me back to their environment, just not that same experience. So I guess they've they've probably cracked the scale bit a little bit, haven't they, Taboola and Outbrain, but that's possibly where where it might stop in your view. When you say it's muddied the waters, do you think brands and agencies sort of have got a little bit wise crossed on what, what is native because of that then, Luke? Do you think there's the understanding in the market of the difference or is it, it is blurred? It's definitely blurred. Like I definitely think some people have good understanding. But again, I think going back to one of the points I said before around there's just not that standardization in the category. So you know, I think native content is definitely the right phrasing to be used, but other people might call it sponsored editorial or branded content or sponsored content. There's so many different words to kind of describe the one category, which in itself just limits the growth of the category, right? Because mm. you can't agree on what that language is. So just give us a um, some examples then that, that you're seeing of what good looks like in, in native. Um, so who's doing what and, and what's happened? What What is the difference in the, I guess, the results or the impact that uh, good native is doing versus either 
average native or ad formats completely? What does good look like? Yeah, so I mean, there's there's obviously a host of different ways that you can execute content. You just the nature of content itself is very vast. It's very rich, so it can be anything from long form articles to video content to face to camera video content to quizzes and shopping experiences that the likes of BuzzFeed have made really famous. What we've seen be really effective is brands who are creating really immersive content that is focused on providing as much value to the audience as possible. So we do a bunch of work with the Destination Gold Coast team. And so from their perspective, what they're trying to do is reposition the Gold Coast and and showcase how it can be many more things than a party city, which which it might typically get labeled as. So They've worked with, in the last six months, I think 12 different publishers creating, I think, upwards of 100 pieces of content, um, have had over 300,000 minutes people consuming that content. And, and what that content is, is different publishers creating itineraries on trips to go to the Gold Coast over a two or three or four day period. And so that piece of content is not just advocating for that destination, but it's also creating a really accessible guide to be able to go travel up there and what to do and how to do it and giving a lot of value to that audience, right? And so I think the ability to create value for audiences is just such a big game changer when you think about the advertising landscape and and the impact it can have on someone ultimately considering how they're going to purchase. If you can give me information that really significantly, you know, can move the dial on, you know, I've thought about going to the Gold Coast before, but it's fifth or sixth in my likely to go destinations. And at the end of consuming a piece, and I've consumed it for five or six minutes, I've got a whole itinerary that's accessible to me now, um, able to drive much greater levels of kind of intent. Well, I think I, I think I have seen some of that stuff you talk about, Luke, because in one execution, it might be a romantic weekend away with your partner. And the next one, it's go for golf in one of the resorts. It's that sort of sort of tailored angles for different segments. Is that that's what you're talking about? Yeah, exactly. And I think in that example, like you're you're working with a specific publisher and having that publisher find the reasons to travel to the Gold Coast for their audience. And so the big value that you're tapping into is the existing relationship that that publisher has with their audience and their knowledge of of why they look to travel specifically. So, you know, who you create, if you're creating content with a range of different publishers, which is what we see as best in class, you can create, you can work with a, you know, a magazine like Golf Australia and showcase the best golf uh, courses up on the Gold right. Coast, but then you can work with, you know, someone like the We Are Explorers team, who are then going to create this beautiful content about going out to the hinterlands and having a completely different experience. And so, yeah, across the different publishers the Gold Coast work has worked with, there's many different trips that they're kind of articulating, right? So, as opposed to say the typical travel campaign or ad campaign you might see is a 30 second montage of all these different things, versus in in kind of a native content example, you can have these individual pieces of content really relevant to the specific audience they're being delivered to. I can totally see how that can work in in travel context. Can the same thing happen in banking, insurance, consumer goods? I guess travel can, airlines. But um, So does does this carry across most sectors, the relevance of what you're talking about here? Yeah, I I think the way that the content is crafted inherently changes. So you might go from, say, an itinerary approach in the travel space to more of a product explainer in the finance space. So we do a bunch of work with cash rewards. So they operate in kind of cash back, kind of finance retail space. ANZ bought them not long ago, right? Correct. Yeah, owned by ANZ. So quite a cash back is quite a complex proposition. It's, you know, you're getting money back every time you spend. It seems too good to be true. What's going on here? That mechanism is confusing to people who aren't aware of it. And so the content we would create with them is a lot more 
informative and explaining how it works and I guess building trust with the audience by giving them information on how it works and making them feel comfortable and safe with the concept as well as then having that publisher advocate for how you can use cashback to be able to save on different purchases and that type of thing. So again, obviously the nature of the content and the messaging shifts, but that ability to communicate more complex messages, again, inherently creates a lot more value for the audience because there's a lot Mm. more being communicated to them. Typically, I'm sure it'll range, but how are brands and agencies uh, benchmarking efficacy on this, the effectiveness? Are they, what sort of measurement are they looking at? Uh, is it all the way through the funnel as we hear so much in, in and around ads? I guess you can measure response. Yeah, I think, I mean, the most common way that we see it being measured is attention. So obviously there's the standard digital metrics of impressions and, and then kind of going into content consumption. So how many article views have I driven? How many video views have I driven? And, and what we kind of topically combine with is how many views, but then what does that dwell time being? What's that length of time being? And so that time with brand is a really big one from kind of a top line digital metric standpoint. But then obviously, how is that customer or user behaving after consuming that content? Clicking through, clicking back to the side, purchasing, uh, uplifting, search results, things like that. Right. Um, it's typically see uh, there's definitely many different types of executions. I think what native content does really well is really help around that, that middle of funnel element or pulling consumers through the middle of the funnel. We right. see a lot of brands still use it for top of funnel awareness, education, but it's when a consumer is in that consideration mindset, they're after information, they're after things that are they're open to changing their minds, they're after new information, new perspectives to be able mm. to kind of shift their likelihood to purchase, right? And content, just because it's so rich and native content, when you're working with a publisher, has that a voice of the publisher giving you that advocacy and giving you reasons why to purchase or why to consider, just so valuable when the consumer is kind of in that mindset or to move yeah, through was, that mindset. It's interesting, isn't it? Because you talk to so many brands these days and they really are looking at content. A lot of them mid-funnel is what they talk about. They all say through funnel, but mid-funnel is where they sort of see a sweet spot for content. And so many of them are talking about it. Your team at Avid Collective has built you know, this next generation native content platform designed, I guess, to fix some of the stuff that we've been talking about, these these challenges. At a top line, what is it that you've got? Yeah. The first thing is aggregating publishers. So we've built a network of about 140 publishers. We've then made all of that information super accessible in the platform. So every publisher's got profiles and a whole bunch of tools to be able to filter through that information. So there's a lot of detailed information at the advertiser's fingertips then a platform that runs the campaigns end-to-end. So every single stage of that process is built into the platform. And so that really unlocks the ability for advertisers to be able to run campaigns with many different publishers in the one place, you know, using the one system. And then the big one is we've got a team of people that are supporting clients on that journey as well. So despite being heavily, you know, having developed a lot of really powerful tech, also got a really powerful team of strategists that are guiding each step of the way, which I think is crucial when you're working with big blue chip brands, running big strategies or big campaigns. They need that strategic guidance of how to execute really well and how to bring, whether it's the campaign strategy or the content strategy, how to kind of take them through that process. So it's that combination of platform and people that I think has been the key to to growth and success. And I guess you're you're almost, advertisers can almost syndicate their briefs then if you're talking about um, sort of 130 publishers and so forth. There is a sort of one brief to many and what comes back with different executions from different publishers, is that how it works? That's it. Yeah. So we, we actually use the, the line brief once personalized everywhere a lot in market. Right. And that is because, yeah, it's that one set of briefing tools and, and briefing platforms that you can put in one brief. But then that 
brief is going out to the different publishers. The publishers are creating that bespoke content for their audience in their own formats, submitting it back into the platform. And then you're able to keep going through that experience, review all the content in one place, live dashboard that has all of the results. So yeah, it's still Mm. giving you that bespoke content by the specific publishers that's eventually going to live in their environment. So live in a variety of different places, but being able to manage that all in one place. Those 130 publishers uh, got a range on what that audience might be collectively, that aggregate audience. Luke, I don't expect you to give me a fully de-duped number. You're, you're off the hook on that one. But w- what is the range? What are we talking about? Yeah, it's about 18 million Australians at the moment. So it's a, one it's eight. a big- Wow, right. One, one yeah, it's a big audience. I mean, we're working with big publishers from the likes of The Guardian and Time Out and The Daily Mail down to, you know, with a heap of publishers in the middle, um, kind of Australian, you know, the Urban Lists, Junkies, Boss Hunting, mm. Now Some Moms, We're Explorers, like lots of different indie publishers that cover a broad set of categories. We've really been focused on building that full family of brands, if you will. So we've got a couple of student publishers all the way up to uh, publishers for the boomer audience and kind of you know over 50s and 60s and all those types of publishers and everyone in between. So we've really focused on building, yeah, I guess the most incremental set of publishers that we can. Well, it doesn't sound like reach is going to be a problem then. You've got reach covered, really. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's been the focus is aggregate so that mm. every brand has many publishers that they can work with and really unlock that ability to work with with many different publishers and combine smaller publishers, which are often the most engaged, uh, who are going to drive the best outcomes into one campaign to give you that reach that obviously advertisers are looking for. Tim Duggan, I guess this all sort of rings a bit true for you. You've spent a heck of a lot of time uh, a decade ago, well, starting a decade ago, right, educating the market on the on the merits of native content. What happened? We've heard Luke's side. What happened in native? Because I remember, you know, you guys were sort of, you know, really leading the charge that, that long ago. We, we were all talking about you. We were writing about you. So what happened to native content in terms of that flat line that Luke sort of says has happened? What's your take on all that? And what do you make of what's going on with Avid? It's a great question, Paul. And it is something that I have originally been quite heavily involved with when I was on the tools at Junkie and helping to introduce native advertising, native content into the market. That was a a wonderful time because no one had any idea what this word native meant, what content was. Um, and there was a couple of progressive publishers, um, Mia Friedman and Mamma Mia at the time and myself, and we would do road shows around the country trying to explain what native advertising was. I think I even came up with a definition in those very early days about a decade ago of what native content was. Can you remember it? I do. It had had three parts. Um, It was quality content, inspired by a brand, and delivered in stream. And that Mm, was the three parts. And interestingly, not much of that has changed. Um, I think what has changed is over the past decade, a lot of brands tried native. Um, It was really successful for a lot of them. It was really successful for publishers. um, And now a big percentage of revenue from publishers comes from native content. I think what has changed is the sophistication of brands and marketers. They have become more sophisticated and wanting to see real numbers and results behind native content. Um, The market has grown up. There's a lot more competition and it's now a, a medium essentially that is 10 years old. And with that comes all of the baggage that comes with anything that's been around for 10 years. So One of the things that I do now, as you mentioned in the intro, I'm the chairman of a group called the Digital Publishers Alliance, and we're an independent body with about 55 members of all the leading independent publishers. And all of the publishers, or almost all of them, um, have native content as part of their revenue mix, something that did not exist 10 years ago. And Mm. 
there is a problem for publishers and for advertisers, which is it's really fiddly to do sometimes. It is it takes a lot of back and forwarding. You go, we're talking about humans here writing content. We've got brands. We have the tone of voice of the publisher. We have the requirements of a brand. And all these things are kind of back and forwarding and take a long time. And lots of people with viewpoints too. 100%. Everyone's got a viewpoint from all different sides. And the one reason that this works, that branded content works so well in the space, is that it's an ability for marketers and brands to be able to borrow some of the credibility and trust that a publisher has with its audience. And that is something that is really, really important. And that's why there's a lot of argy-bargy often between publishers and marketers when it comes to brand and content because there's trust both ways. The publisher has Mm. an audience and the brand obviously has its own trust with its and relationship with its consumers. And so you clearly then agree uh, with Luke's point earlier that uh, ads versus content, trust swings in in favour of content over ads and that's why there's, you know, a lot of brand interest. It sounds like you're you're aligned on that. Definitely, definitely. I think that's one of the the biggest um, parts. And and anything as part of my role at the at the DPA, anything that helps bring in more revenue and increases revenue for for independent publishers, which is hugely important for our industry, is very important. And this uh, native content and what Avid are doing in this space and popularizing it, making it easier for brands and marketers, that has huge impact down the line for making sure that native content is something that is going to become a really important part of the media mix for the next 10 years. I'm assuming you've seen the the Avid platform. If you haven't, let's pretend you have. If you had it sort of when you were out doing the, the roadshow 10 years ago, would that have helped? You know, it's a step up in terms of the efficiency and process load. Oh, it, it is. And I've had to play around with it in some of the beta testing and it is marvellous. It's a really mm. wonderful piece of technology that is all about the growing up of this part of the industry. I think if 10 years ago we were able to establish it and get it onto people's radar and get it into people's media buys, what needs to happen now is it needs to grow up. It needs to have really thorough reporting around it. It needs to be really easy for a brand or an advertiser to use and it needs to work for the publisher. So the publisher Mm. needs to be part of this platform because they're ultimately going to grow their revenue from native content. I think that is where there's multiple different parties here who are all being brought together by one platform. And if this existed 10 years ago, it would have been a lot easier um, for us at Junkie to be able to probably increase our revenue through advertisers. What are you up to at the Digital Publishers Alliance? Um, They're all indies by the sounds of it. You, You launched it maybe 18 months ago, perhaps, I think, 12 months ago. What are you up to? What's the idea behind it? Yeah, so it's a wonderful collective that I wish existed when I was running Junkie. It's one of those things that we ran, Neil and myself, my business partner and I, ran it in a silo where we would only really see other publishers at awards nights where we would food them across the table or um, Mm. have this kind of real competitive situation with other publishers. And so once I left Junkie full-time at the end of 2020, I jumped into a camper van for six months um, to try and nice. go because the world was Oh, shuffling. you wrote a book or something, didn't you? I did write a book from, the, from in there. I wrote, wrote two books, not all in the camper You're van. You're crazy. But it, part of it was to create a community of publishers who um, have three aims together and it's to connect, support, and protect. So connect, bring everyone together to make a community, to support, so to increase revenue, attention, 
audience of the industry and to protect to make sure that collectively we are looking how can we protect the interests of digital publishers. And it is something that's grown completely organically. There's now 55 members and it's all the leading independent publishers in the country. And it's a wonderful group of people who are all learning from each other and sharing knowledge and creating a wonderful community of publishers. Defined independent for us, uh, Tim. Well, what does that mean? Great question, Paul. And it's something that we have discussed many times because it essentially means not the two large players in Australia. So nine, <laughs> right. nine and news, they're right. great publishers in their own right, but they have their own problems and they're quite different to the problems of mm. everyone else. So the way mm. that I look at independent is outside of those two. Got it. If you think about what's going on with some of the conversations we're having with even the big media agency groups, this whole notion of ESG being brought into negotiations, both in terms of, you know, green carbon offsets or or carbon neutral ad campaigns and so forth. But the bit that they're starting to talk about, interestingly, is not necessarily always the E, the environment, but the S, the social. And that means diversity. And it also means diversity of publishers, audiences. And so, you know, you talk about that contrast between the big two and the rest, there is increasing conversation around diversity of media and the need to get to niche audiences that are harder to get with the big monoliths. Are you seeing, are the indie publishers seeing any of that rhetoric that I hear from the agency groups? Is it flowing through yet into conversations with the indies about this? That's a wonderful question, Paul. And I think it's really important to ensure that we hold some of the bigger agency buying groups to account when they say they talk about diversity. It is starting to happen in terms of conversations are happening more now. In particular, I'll give you a really simple, concrete example. Um, Last year, we held our first combined upfronts called Independence Day, and we brought together about 20 publishers to come together. But the first year that we did it last year, it was really difficult to get the big agency groups to come along. I spent a lot of time emailing CEOs and um, speaking to people there, pleading with them to send some of their staff along. And it became a bit of a, a bone of contention between the DPA and some of those groups. This year, things feel a little bit different. So we had mm. a, an, an agency leaders lunch where we invited the CEOs and MDs and senior leaders of all the big agency groups to lunches in, in Sydney and Melbourne. And most of them came along. And this was the CEOs of all the big agency groups. The next thing will be not just coming along to events where they say they're supporting independent publishers. It will be showing us the money and actually saying to your clients, it is really important that you have a diversity of publishers on your media registry and you actually spread the dollars around. And part of this is some research that we actually debuted last night at the Independence Day Upfronts event, which is looking at trust and trust of consumers um, towards different publishers. And I was shocked. We, we spoke to about 1,300 respondents, a really broad cross-section of people, not just millennials. And the trust in independent publishers was around 76% of respondents saying they completely or mostly trust independent publishers. And the highest that that got to in terms of mainstream publishers was the Sydney Morning Herald and the age got to 38 and 35% trust. So there's this huge trust gap. It was 58% trust gap between independent publishers and most of the average of the other media um, on the scale. So the real big difference here. 
Yeah, that's huge. And I know that I'm going to have people listening to this going, yeah, but what was the sample? It was robust. So we uh, went through 20 different independent publishers and we asked them to send it out to their audiences. So yes, it was people who currently read independent publishers, but the cross-section of it, it was then weighted um, in line with the Australian population. And we had an independent analyst look at the data and um, weight it to make sure that it was statistically significant. Got it. So it was right. it was data that was for the first time across a really wide range of publishers. And I think generally what you tend to find, and I've done research and every publisher does, does research of our own audience, this is the first time where we asked 20 publishers from completely different walks of life, from The Squiz, which is a podcast, an amazing podcast, mm. through to We Are Explorers, through to Man of Many. So not just in one industry, it was actually a list of 20 different publishers. What were the questions or conversation? What did the conversations sound like in your roundtables with these agency bosses? Were they leaning in and asking questions or were they just listening and, and trying to log? How would you judge it? I think it's a combination of both at the moment. I think that I was genuinely surprised that these agency leaders are aware of how important independence is because their staff are telling them. So that ESG right. um, element that you're talking mm. about, that's not just brands and advertisers asking for this now. This is staff members. They're people, right. Yeah, but they're, they're people. So I think that mm. um, there's a real, I've been very heartened, to be honest, this year compared to last year with the response of agency leaders to what we're doing at the DPA. And I hope that that will turn into real proper briefs um, being shared and real money actually moving into the industry, especially when you start looking at how trustworthy they are. And so therefore, things mm. that Luke and his team at Avid are doing, that is one of the ways that money can come into the industry in an easy way. The other way, of course, is working direct with brands and that will continue to happen alongside what Luke and the Avid team are doing. And I know that the proof will be in the pudding in terms of how money is actually spread around into the independent publishers. But so far, the early signs have been pretty heartening. You know, from our perspective, the thing that we see is that the agencies are in a tough position, right? Because they might want to invest in these types of initiatives, but at the end of the day, they're beholden to the client and the results that they drive for the client. And so, you know, I think that that's obviously a big part of the role that we're trying to play to this category. But I think that, that both advertisers and publishers themselves have to come to the table on is working on those ways of working to make the category more scalable because mm. that's what's going to cause the material shift, right? You can have initiatives and you can have what's right and trying to drive and shift behavior. But at the end of the day, we exist in you know, an economic environment that's being driven by brands trying to grow and make money and, and, and kind of you know, drive impact essentially. And so mm. at the end of the day, it does come back to the solutions that are available to them and how to unlock that and do that effectively. And so I think that's, that's, again, one of the big things that I know Tim and the DPA are focused on is publishers coming together and actually trying to strengthen each of their individual offerings by sharing information and becoming, you know, taking the learnings of how they're, each of them are operating so that the, you know, all of the publishers' ways of working can improve, thus making the products more competitive, thus making the overall sector, you know, being able to drive more money into it. And obviously from the Avid perspective, that's the total problem that we're focused on is how do you make it easier for advertisers and publishers to work together because uh, that's, you know, the intent can be there, but it's got to be accessible as well. It's got to have results for the clients, for the agencies to really be able to shift the tide. For your total sort of inbound business 
Luke, what's the split? You're dealing with both, right, agencies and direct with advertisers. Does it lean one way or the other? Yeah, we work with about about seventy percent of our revenue is is through agencies, but right, I, th- I expect that to be closer to to eighty ninety percent over the next twelve months. Like it's definitely mm. where the growth is coming from. It's it's definitely where you know I think it's about eighty percent of the advertising spend in Australia is with the holding groups. So it's definitely where the bulk of the advertising spend in, is in Australia. But again, agencies are set up to buy at scale. That's what they need. It's exactly where I was going to go, Luke, actually, because it does bode well, I guess, for what you've built. And it's probably a little bit of time now to go, well, what the hell have you built? Because it's 2.0, but 2.0 suggests there was a 1.0. So what's changed? What's coming? What is this thing? What's different about it? Very apt. <laughs> Our head of marketing will be stoked to hear you've made the connection point there. <laughs> Thank you very um, much. Yeah. So, yeah. So at the moment, as I kind of mentioned up top, we've got a network of about 140 publishers. We've got a platform that's in market that's helped facilitating better campaigns and, and making the running of those campaigns um, efficient. All we're launching at the end of September is our 2.0 platform, which we've been working on for about 18 months, which basically pretty much revolutionizes or takes a significant step forward at each step of how campaigns can be run or how working in native content can be run. So we've got much more enhanced profiles on all of the publishers and and much more powerful filtering tools. So we kind of call that our discover module where you are discovering different publishers, learning about what audiences they have, insights on their different audiences to find publishers that are relevant to your specific brand. We've got the plan module, which basically we've built a ability to build a campaign like your online shopping. So it's got about 550 products from different publishers all loaded into the system with significant information around deliverables, inclusions, costs, all bespoke and set by the publisher, but the ability to essentially build a media plan in under 10 minutes has, has been the goal. So oh, wow. a planner or a marketer can jump in and, and build out a really comprehensive media plan can use all these different filters to find, to achieve different marketing objectives, different content formats, obviously finding different publishers and build out a combined media plan. Once they've done that, they kind of move into the manage module where they then manage and run their campaigns. So they can go through and do really comprehensive briefing, which is was part of the 1.0 platform. But part of the 2.0 platform is then the ability to have automated timelines built out. So it's basically gives them full end-to-end every step of the campaign mapped out from a timeline standpoint, to-do lists and stakeholder management so that different you know tasks that need to be done through the campaign process is totally managed by the platform, taking out a lot of the ambiguity and confusion and uh, time intensiveness that can typically exist in the campaigns. It's just the coordination of them. And, and this platform basically does that for every step of the campaign. And then goes into the analyze module, which basically gives you comprehensive reporting live dashboards on your entire campaign, broken down by publisher, also broken down by content piece, different audience segments, and just gives you really detailed analysis and then optimizes towards the content that's performing the best as well. So the ability to do that across a range of different publishers that are owned by the same player is just a massive, massive Mm -hmm. value add uh, for brands that are trying to make sure that they minimize wastage. And then, yeah, the last element is the people element, which I mentioned up top, which is really important to us, is the ability to engage our team of strategists at any point in time. So we've built a lot of that natively into the platform now. So there's not only the ability to live chat with our team at any point in time, AI bot to answer different questions and stuff as well, but the ability to actually at different stages of the platform be able to say, can I get assistance here? Or can I get the avid team to jump in here? Which I think just is so, so crucial when you're operating in such creative spaces, mm. but also at such with such enterprise clients who want 
premium quality every step of the way. The ability to be able to do it themselves and have that independence and be able to move it forward, you know, within their own business, but then be able to pull someone in when they feel like, you know, they need some additional support, some additional strategy and guidance. I think and being able to do that natively to allow collaboration to be really efficient, I think is is so fundamental or else you can risk making, you know, the whole process more difficult. Tim's seen a beta test of it. I'm assuming you've been in market showing a few people. How's it gone down? Because it does seem like, you know, from Tim's early days to what this thing, this platform 2.0, um, it's a really different, it's quite, it's quite automated, sophisticated, broad, deep, you name it, it's, it's ticking all the boxes. How's it gone down in market? Have you briefed anyone in the agency or advertiser side? Yeah, so we've been running beta sessions with a whole bunch of different clients that we work with. So basically testing sessions where they come in and use the platform, give feedback, and the results have been awesome. The feedback's been mm-hmm. really, really good. I think, you know, we kind of had this sense beforehand, but I think the level of pent-up demand that this is tapping into is is really, really evident when you show a platform like this because it's so many problems that these advertisers and agencies and marketers are dealing with every single day in terms of not having access to information on publishers, having to go and meet all these different publishers to kind of understand this different information, so many questions that they've got. At the time they've spent thinking about these campaigns previously is just to be able mm. to solve it in one platform that's super intuitive is just the immediate reactions we've been getting is this allows me to do this. Oh my God, this is going to save me so much time doing this. Right. Oh, this allows me for this upcoming campaign or this upcoming campaign where we were thinking about using native content, but it was just too difficult. So we were thinking about doing this, but now this enables me to do, mm. you know, uh, and now, yeah. So just the amount of use cases that people have that pent-up demand for, but it, it just doesn't stack up without a tool like this. Mm. Well, you've killed restraint, haven't you? That's what you've done. Yeah, I think so. And, and then again, in, in a world where advertisers are trying to achieve reach in the biggest way possible, that's what often drives them to a News Corp or a Nine or a Facebook or a Google, right, is the ability to drive reach in a efficient amount of time. It just doesn't exist in this category. It's just not possible. And so mm. the ability to give them a tool to be able to do that, to be able to add up four or five different publishers to give you the reach of a News Corp or a Nine buy and not take any extra time and then get all the benefits that Tim has, you know, the DPA has just released a whole bunch of data around to validate how valuable it is to work with more niche and trusted independent publishers to be able to kind of then combine that and, yeah. Tim and Luke, I'll get a sort of a final take from both of you, really. Uh, Tim, what next? What do you think this is going to have, sort of impact this is going to have on your constituents, your members? And what does it point to in terms of what next for native content, do you think? Yeah, I think one of the things that we spoke about last night at the upfronts was the importance of a diversity of media, the trust that there is in media, the added benefit that goes to a brand from buying local and spending money and keeping money in Australia. And all of these things can be done in many different ways. And one of the really simple new ways of doing that is working with Luke and the Avid team to do that, as well as continuing to work, as I said, directly with publishers. Any money that goes into the independent system of independent publishers is money that is really well spent in not only reaching audiences that are highly engaged with uh, what a brand is trying to do, but also with supporting the independent media market, which is a huge and important part of our ecosystem. Mm, and loaded with lots of creative talent that are sort of, you know, are pretty scrappy because you've got to be lean and mean, don't you? We're, MI3, strangely enough, as an independent publisher, we get it. It's, you know, you've got to work hard. Luke, um, 
what should be watching for from Avid and beyond? What do you think is going to happen in the next 12 months? Yeah, I mean, I think we, we also talked a bunch about indie publishers, but I think they are very much next. I think that they are they offer so much of, of what advertisers are looking for, what uh, the modern audience and modern consumer is looking for. And I think whether it's what we're trying to do to, un- to unlock the access to them, whether it's what Tim's doing with the Digital Publishers Alliance, whether it's these initiatives that we've talked of, they're all you know, signs point to independent media and independent publishing becoming a bigger part of the ecosystem. I think the other element for us is obviously we're a massive fan of, of content, but I think native content especially, but I think more broadly content is just you know continuing to grow 20, 30% year mm. on year from a, from a category standpoint because the world is becoming more and more consumer centric. You know, we see the, the businesses and the brands that are doing really well are the ones that are have the consumer at the heart and at the forefront of what they're doing. And I think content has that in spades if you compare it to what the avid and experience of consuming ads is like. And so mm. in that way, advertisers are going to continually turn towards content to be able to resonate with the modern audience and impact and influence the modern audience. Look, it's super interesting. And let's have another chat in 12 months and see who's walking the talk on terms of diversity in indies and from the groups. I love that one. I might be talking to them myself now to sort of say, ah, you're walking the talk. But great conversation. Um, Independence Day has been. Let's see what happens as a result of it um, and and how the market responds to those presentations. And uh, all the best for the 2.0 platform, Luke. Thanks for joining. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Paul. This MI3 audio edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 Audio Edition to listen for free. Listener.